episode 16. You've been ages, said George when they finally got back to the Weasley's tents. Met a few people, said Ron, setting the water down. You not got that fire started yet? Dad's having fun with the matches, said Fred. Mr. Weasley was having no success at all in lighting the fire, but it wasn't for lack of trying. Splintered matches littered the ground around him, but he looked as though he was having the time of his life. Oops, he said, as he managed to light a match and promptly dropped it in surprise. Come here, Mr. Weasley, said Hermione kindly, taking the box from him and starting to show him how to do it properly. At last, they got the fire lit, though it was at least another hour before it was hot enough to cook anything. There was plenty to watch while they waited, however. Their tent seemed to be pitched right along a kind of thoroughfare to the pitch, and ministry members kept hurrying up and down it, greeting Mr. Weasley cordially as they passed. Mr. Weasley kept up a running commentary, mainly for Harry and Hermione's benefit. His own children knew too much about the ministry to be greatly interested. That was Cuthbert Markridge, head of the Goblin Liaison Office. Here comes Gilbert Wimple. He's with the Committee on Experimental Charms. He's had those horns for a while now. Hello, Arnie. Arnold Peasgood. He's an obliviator, member of the Accidental Magical Reversal Squad, you know. And that's Bode and Croker. They're unspeakables. They're what? From the Department of Mysteries. Top secret. No idea what they get up to. At last, the fire was ready, and they had just started cooking eggs and sausages when Bill, Charlie, and Percy came strolling out of the woods toward them. Just apparated, Dad, said Percy loudly. Ah, excellent. Lunch. They were halfway through their plates of sausages and eggs when Mr. Weasley jumped to his feet, waving and grinning at a man who was striding toward them. Aha, he said, the man of the moment, Ludo. Ludo Bagman was easily the most noticeable person Harry had seen so far, even including old Archie in his flowered nightdress. He was wearing long Quidditch robes in thick horizontal stripes of bright yellow and black. An enormous picture of a wasp was splashed across his chest. He had the look of a powerfully built man gone slightly to seed. The robes were stretched tightly across a large belly he surely had not had in the days when he had played Quidditch for England. His nose was squashed, probably broken by a stray bludger, Harry thought, but his round blue eyes, short blonde hair, and rosy complexion made him look very like a overgrown schoolboy. Ahoy there, Bagman called happily. He was walking as though he had springs attached to the balls of his feet and was plainly in a state of wild excitement. Arthur, old man, he puffed as he reached the campfire. What a day! What a day! Could we have asked for more perfect weather? A cloudless night coming and hardly a hiccup in the arrangements. Not much for me to do. <laughs> Behind him, a group of haggard-looking ministry wizards rushed past, pointing at the distant evidence of some sort of magical fire which was sending violet sparks twenty feet into the air. Percy hurried forwards with his hand outstretched. Apparently, 
His disapproval of the way Ludo Bagman ran his department did not prevent him from wanting to make a good impression. Ah, yes, said Mr. Weasley, grinning. This is my son, Percy. He's just started at the ministry. And this is Fred. Oh, no, George, sorry. That's Fred. Bill, Charlie, Ron, my daughter, Ginny, and Ron's friends, Hermione Granger and Harry Potter. Bagman did the smallest of double-takes when he heard Harry's name, and his eyes performed the familiar flick upward to the scar on Harry's forehead. Everyone, Mr. Weasley continued, this is Ludo Bagman. You know who he is. It's thanks to him we've got such good tickets. Bagman beamed and waved his hand as if to say it had been nothing. Betsy, a flutter on the match, Arthur, he said eagerly, jingling what seemed to be a large amount of gold in the pockets of his yellow and black robes. I've already got Roddy Potter down. Be betting me Bulgaria will store first. I've offered him nice odds, considering Ireland's front three are the strongest I've seen in years. And little Agatha Timms has put up half shares in her eel farm on a week-long match. Oh, go on then, said Mr. Weasley. Let's see, a galleon on Ireland to win? A galleon? Ludo Bagman looked slightly disappointed, but recovered himself. Very well, very well. Any other takers? They're a bit young to be gambling, said Mr. Weasley. Molly wouldn't like it. We'll bet 37 galleons, 15 sickles, three canutes, said Fred, as he and George quickly pooled all their money. That Ireland win, but Victor Crumb gets the snitch. Oh, and we'll throw in a fake wand. You don't want to go showing Mr. Bagman rubbish like that, Percy hissed. But Bagman didn't seem to think the wand was rubbish at all. On the contrary, his boyish face shone with excitement as he took it from Fred. And when the wand gave a loud squawk and turned into a rubber chicken, Bagman roared with laughter. Excellent! I haven't seen one that convincing in years! I'd pay five galleons for that! Percy froze in an attitude of stunned disapproval. Boys, said Mr. Weasley under his breath, I don't want you betting. That's all your savings. Your mother. Don't be a spoil sport, Arthur, boomed Ludo Bagman, rattling his pockets excitedly. They're old enough to know what they want. You reckon Ireland will win, but Crumb will get the snitch? Not a chance, boys. Not a chance. I'll give you excellent odds on that one. And we'll add five galleons for the funny one, then, shall we? Mr. Weasley looked on helplessly as Ludo Bagman whipped out a notebook and quill and began jotting down the twins' names. Cheers, said George, taking the slip of parchment Bagman handed him and tucking it away carefully. Bagman turned most cheerfully back to Mr. Weasley. Couldn't do me a brew, I suppose. I'm keeping an eye out for Barty Crouch. My Bulgarian opposite's number's making difficulties, and I can't understand a word he's saying. Barty'll be able to sort it out. He speaks about a hundred and fifty languages. Mr. Crouch, said Percy, suddenly abandoning his look of poker-stiff disapproval and positively writhing with excitement. He speaks over two hundred. Mermish and gobbledygook and troll. Anyone can speak troll, said Fred dismissively. All you have to do is point and grunt. Percy threw Fred an extremely nasty look, 
and stoked the fire vigorously to bring the kettle back to the boil. Any news of Bertha Jorkins yet, Ludo? Mr. Weasley asked, as Bagman settled himself down on the grass beside them all. Not a dicky bird, said Bagman comfortably, but she'll turn up. Poor old Bertha, memory like a leaky cauldron, and no sense of direction. Lost, you take my word for it. She'll wander back into the office sometime in October, thinking it's still July. You don't think it might be time to send someone to look for her? Mr. Weasley suggested tentatively, as Percy handed Bagman his tea. Bertie Crouch keeps saying that, said Bagman, his round eyes widening innocently. But we really can't spare anyone at the moment. Oh, talk of the devil! Bertie! A wizard had just apparated at their fireside, and he could not have made more of a contrast with Ludo Bagman, sprawled on the grass in his old wasp robes. Barty Crouch was a stiff, upright, elderly man, dressed in an impeccably crisp suit and tie. The parting in his short gray hair was almost unnaturally straight, and his narrow toothbrush mustache looked as though he trimmed it using a slide rule. His shoes were very highly polished. Harry could see at once why Percy idolized him. Percy was a great believer in rigidly following rules, and Mr. Crouch had complied with the rule about muggle dressing so thoroughly that he could have passed as a bank manager. Harry doubted even Uncle Vernon would have spotted him for what he really was.